Here's what I love about Pitt Twitter. In about 45 minutes of time, Pitt Twitter went from, oh my God, we're not going to get anybody to coach this basketball team, to, holy cow, we're getting Jeff Capel, to, well, he better bring Zion Williamson with him, right? I mean, he's maybe the best recruiter in the country. He's got to come to Pitt. It's just so Pitt. An hour. It couldn't even last an hour between, hey, something good happened, to let's set some unrealistic expectations. Get used to it, Jeff Capel. Get used to it. This is how Pitt got itself into this mess in the first place, and now it's your job to get the program out of it. I wish you luck. I really do. It's a tall task, and I'm not even talking about the basketball part yet either. I am Tim Benz. This is the Mark Madden Show. I'm in for Mark today. Hockey talk coming up with Stan Saverin and Ken Cal in just a little bit as we get ready for Penguins versus the Red Wings tonight right here on 105.9 The X. The hockey show is coming up at the top of the 6 o'clock hour. We'll talk at length about that matchup and more. Also, plenty of Steelers talk with the rules changes coming down. But let's start with the pick coaching hire of Capel. Uh, here's Mike Krzyzewski's top assistant coming to Pitt from Duke. It's a seven-year deal. I haven't seen the exact dollar amounts yet, but I imagine it's close to exceeding the price or up near to $3.25 million that Dan Hurley got offered for the first place. Look, I would have preferred Hurley, and once Hurley said no, we all saw where this thing was going. Crean had already gone to Georgia. Mata had already said, nah, I'm not ready to come back to coaching. Oates had said, I'm going to stay at Buffalo. Mark Schmidt apparently wanted to see what happened with Xavier. And then there was word that they couldn't get John Shire from Duke staff. Now, I don't know how true that was. They may have been interested in both Duke assistants, and I wrote about Shire maybe being on the fringes of the Pitt coaching search back after Selection Sunday. And part of the reason I heard that Pitt had thought that it was interested in Shire was they wanted to get Capel but thought they couldn't get Capel. That Capel was waiting to become the Duke coach after Coach K retired, and why leave to go elsewhere in the ACC, particularly to a wayward program like Pitt? Fast forward till now. Now Jeff Capel knows exactly how much Pitt is willing to pay. Now Capel has heard and read everything else the rest of the country has said about John Shire, that he's allegedly a coach on the rise and a perceived high-riser in the coaching community. Maybe Capel sees Coach K not retiring anytime soon and Shire potentially getting better offers than Pitt. And in order to keep Shire, they kind of bypass Capel, and he's the fair-haired boy now, and Capel kind of gets pushed out. I think a lot of that took place. In fact, I at least know some of that took place. I know Pitt had some interest in Shire, and I know Pitt was initially dubious of its chances of getting Capel. But when word gets out that $3.25 million is on the table, and you get some outside momentum of somebody else that's on your own bench, well, then opinions change. And I like Shire. I thought a lot of that talk had merit. He's a new-age coach. His whole Twitter game and his podcast outreach to recruits and his connections recruiting-wise in the Midwest, those are valued commodities. But he's only like 30, 31. And this pit coaching job is not an on-the-job training kind of position. This pit mess is... You know, on the ground running kind of stuff. 
This task is too tall for a first-time 30-year-old head coach. It's just that big of a deal. And I would have written that at the time if I had known that the whole roster is transferring, or at least was planning to. But that wasn't known at that point. Capel, for this job, is a better fit than Shire, as it stood at, you know, 1.30 this afternoon. And I know most of you super-sensitive Pitt fans out there see me as a Pitt basher, a Pitt hater. And you see that because anyone who doesn't coddle Pitt at every turn and has the audacity to have a diploma on their wall from a rival institution of Pitt is a hater. But the truth is, I think Pitt did really well here. I think this is a good hire. I would have preferred Hurley, but based on how badly things were going, to walk away with Jeff Capel, that's way better. Way better than how I thought things would go. If you're a Pitt basketball fan... At least now you have hope. If you're a Pitt basketball fan, at least you have name recognition and ACC recruiting ties. Maybe some of the guys who wanted to transfer will stay now. At least that's the word from another Post-Gazette apparently said that Wilson Frame is thinking about sticking around and Stevenson too. This wasn't the best possible outcome for Pitt. I think Hurley was the best possible outcome for Pitt. But after Hurley decided to go to UConn, and honestly, no great shame there for the difference in money and the difference in prestige, the programs. So after Hurley went to UConn, this is probably as good of an outcome as you could have asked for, seeing the direction that it was going. And oh, by the way, don't be surprised if Brandon Knight may come back as an assistant here now. I wouldn't be surprised there either. So Pitt fans, those are my thoughts. What are yours? I think your team came out smelling pretty good in all this, all things considered. What do you say? 412-333-9939. So there you have it. From the lips of a Pitt hater in the media, I think Pitt did pretty well. And I'm actually enthusiastic about the direction they've gone with this decision. And I think they made out better than we had a right to expect. I put a poll up on Twitter. Now, this is this this is where Pitt fans, as usual, go too far. But here it is. I put a poll up on Twitter. Pitt, best way to describe the Capel hire in your eyes. A, 52% better than Hurley. <clears throat> okay. 37% preferred Hurley, but good. That, to me, seems to be the honest, like, real grounded response. 3% say don't like it. I don't know how you couldn't like it. And 8% say wrong Duke assistant, meaning Shire. So maybe those two are kind of lumped together. But I can't see, I, I can't envision a scenario of me writing a column or going on the radio and saying back when Rhode Island was beating Oklahoma, you know, at, at 2.30 in the afternoon on the first day of the tournament, hey, who do you want? Jeff Capel, who got run at Oklahoma? and is now an assistant with Mike Krzyzewski, or do you want Dan Hurley? Y'all would have wanted Hurley. So don't give me this 52% that you would have preferred Capel over Hurley back then. You prefer Capel to Hurley now because you got Capel. Let's not morph reality. Let's not lie to ourselves. And, And this whole thing about him being the best recruiter in the country, slow your roll there, too. One thing about Capel, he's he's a really good recruiter. I mean, it's not just Duke. Because he did well at Oklahoma, he did well at VCU and kind of got that program going too. I I give him all the credit in the world for that. But this best recruiting guy in the country stuff, it's Duke. 
It recruits itself. Being the top recruiter at Duke is like being the photo director for the Chamber of Commerce in Honolulu. I mean, like, how hard do you have to work there? The pictures kind of sell themselves, don't they? It's Hawaii. It's friggin' Duke. So I really like it, but let's, you know, stay in the framework of where we were back right after Selection Sunday. It's not your top choice. Let's not change recent history, but it's a good choice. You did well. And, and I think Pitt has a rudder again at the Peterson Event Center. You could agree or disagree, but that's my initial layout on it. So, Panther fans, I want to hear from you on this. 412-333-9939 or tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. Also, speaking of Capel, huge Steelers fan. Not kidding. That's not a joke. He's tweeted about this. He's tweeted out rage about the Jesse James play against the New England Patriots. That's not a joke. That's true. It's all over Twitter. Look it up. Uh, this is in the news, too, ironically timed, right before we came on from Pro Football Talk. The new rules defining a catch include control the ball, two feet down, or another body part. Also, a football move, such as a third step, reaching or extending the line to gain, or the ability to perform such an act. So Jeff Capel gets two pieces of good news the same day. He's the new coach of Pitt, and the NFL admits that it's screwed up with the Jesse James play. In fact, it went so far as to state, again, as it did in advance, that plays such as the Des Bryant play, plays such as the Jesse James play, those would no longer be deemed incomplete. They would be completions. The rule change won't remove all gray areas. In fact, some people are saying this might actually open the door to more fumble calls. But I'd rather have it this way than before. The one thing I'd say, this ability to perform such an act thing, I don't get that. I think you're setting yourself up. That's extra words that don't need to be in there. I mean, the whole point of doing this is to smooth things out for the officials, to take away gray area, to make it less nebulous, to make it less confusing. I get everything else. I get the whole third step, two feet down, football move. This ability to perform such an act, just take that sentence and throw it away. I don't know why you're putting it in. You're just creating confusion. What's the point of that? From my vantage point, that's the big mistake that they made. The other mistake that I want to see them change and and maybe just address is quite simply this. Put the words in there about the goal line. Like I know the line to gain has been written in here, reaching for the line to gain. That's great. I want to see clarified language about the goal line specifically. Like, the line to gain might be the one next time for Jesse James as opposed to the goal line. And I know theoretically they've kind of addressed this, and the going to the ground thing takes care of a lot of the confusion about the goal line or the end zone versus the rest of the field of play. That's great. I just would have preferred to see more specific, and maybe we don't know everything yet. Maybe we have to see it before our very eyes, like word for word, letter for letter. But I would have thought there would be more, um, how can I put this? More obvious statement in the press releases that the goal line has been brought into play more clearly. I, I, I think it's been addressed. In theory, it's been addressed. But theory has been what's caused the problems with the catch rule in the past. We'll get more into this as the afternoon goes along. I see some people on hold already. Hang in there. We're going to talk pens with Ken Cal. Detroit Red Wing play-by-play voice is going to join us. 
We'll talk to him about the Wings game tonight here on 105.9 The X against Pittsburgh. Penguins on the road against Detroit. Penn's got to do better on the road. We'll talk about that specifically. Plenty more on the hire of Jeff Capel, the head coach now of the Pitt Panthers, formerly of the Duke Blue Devils, Krzyzewski's top assistant, and the rules change, too. All that to come. Tim Benson from Mark Madden today here on 105.9 The X. This is Chris Letang of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. We know who the Pitt basketball coach is. We know what a catch is. It's a big day. We got people who want to talk about both those topics and more. Hang in there. We're talking Penguins right now. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X, your home for the Pens. Ken Cal joining me right now, the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings. Wings and Pens tonight, right here on 105.9 The X. Penguins need to start playing better on the road. And Ken, the Wings in general just need to start playing better, period. Do they not? Well, you're right about that, but the season's winding down. Red Wings have five games left, just like the Penguins do after this game tonight at Little Caesars Arena. But uh, two teams going in different directions. The Penguins trying to win their third straight Stanley Cup, another good season for them, and the Red Wings trying to rebuild on the fly. How has it gone so wrong, do you think, Ken, for the Wings after coming over to the Eastern Conference, and how much has the conference change affected that? Uh, I don't know. I just think that this is a team in transition. And when you look at the way parity is in the National Hockey League, Tim, right now, it's just um, there, there's not a lot of really strong teams, but there's a lot of teams that are about equal. And, uh, you know, whether or not you win or lose those close one-goal games, I think, determines on whether or not you make the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think both conferences are really tough. When the Wings were in the West, that was a tough conference. The East is comp- uh, tough. The Metropolitan Division, I think, extremely tough. And then uh, you look at um, you know the Atlantic Division with teams like Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto. They're solid clubs as well. So um, I don't think it's as much as a conference. I just think that uh, you know the Red Wings are in a position right now that you know the, all their superstars of the past have come and gone, and there's still a couple of left. But uh, the Red Wings have to start drafting, and they've got a number of draft picks coming up in the next couple of drafts, and hopefully they can get some players that'll be the core of their team down the road. When it comes to belief, enthusiasm, prospects, sort of along the lines of what you just referenced there, does Detroit as a fan base, as a community, still have the same level of buy-in with the ring, the Wings that we were so used to seeing back uh, right around when the Penguins and Detroit were playing in the Cup Finals in back-to-back years? Well, I think they understand what's happening with the team right now. I, I really do. And they understand that, um, you know, this team isn't the same team that it was before. And I guess if you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins before Malkin and Crosby and, you know, Fleury and all those guys, Stahl came there, you know, they were in a position like Detroit. They were trying to rebuild and trying to get some, some draft choices that were going to make their team of the future. And they certainly did that with all those guys that I mentioned. They also made some trades that, you know, really solidified their core group. And because of that, uh, you know, for the last 11, 12 years, Pittsburgh's made the playoffs and, and they've been a strong team and they've won Stanley Cup. So uh, all teams go through it. And there's not one team. I mean, really, when you think about it, the Red Wings making the playoffs 25 straight seasons. I don't know if that's ever going to happen again, just because of the salary cap and everything else. But, um, you know, I think the way the, the, the league is built right now is um, once you can get a core group together, then you can make the playoffs for maybe, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years in a row. And hopefully within that time, you can win a couple of Stanley Cups as well. To that exact point, Ken, for a franchise that's so used to postseason success to be languishing at 65 points here, and then what's it been now? I think it's like 112-1 and one during the stretch that they've mm-hmm. gone through. 
How has it been for you calling the games? How has it been for the fans watching the product on the ice? Just take me through the reaction to the rarity of bad hockey in Detroit over the past couple seasons. Well, you know what? It's amazing. You, you mentioned that stretch, 112-1, and one, and I would say in 10 of those 14 games, they've been really close games, one-goal games, a lot of them, and um, the Red Wings just can't seem to get that next goal that would put them over the top and maybe win that game or send it into overtime. So when I look at the team and how they're playing and I, I look at the record, you say, well, the record doesn't look good, but when I watch them play game in and game out, they compete with the best teams in the National Hockey League, and... and um, you know, I, so so I, you know, are they playing bad? I would say no. They compete hard. They just aren't getting the results. And this year's been just a lot of bad breaks for Detroit. Now I've seen teams um, that were really bad, and going back into the '70s when I started watching Red Wing hockey on a regular basis, those were some bad teams. And um, I think a lot of it had to do with um, you know there was a revolving door with management and coaches and GMs and you can't win that way. So the stability here amongst the management uh, has been consistent, and now we're just going through a process where you know uh, the team's just changing. I guess that's the best way to put it. And again, it's not just it's not just us. A lot of teams have gone through it. The Blackhawks gone through it before they got Taves and Kane. The Maple Leafs have suffered for years. Um, really haven't made the playoffs, but now they've got a core group in place because of the draft. So it's just it just rotates. And teams that have the window for eight or nine years, guess what? They're going to start sinking, and they're going to have to rebuild as well. Among the guys with whom we are familiar here in Pittsburgh, the Larkins, the Zetterbergs, the Nyquists, Abdelkader, um, even Antonasio, who we got a lot of attention talking about during the offseason here in Pittsburgh, who has lived up to expectations and where have certain players fallen short that could have given more to this year? Well, I think when you look at a guy like Dylan Larkin, he has really improved from a year ago. And, and, and again, a lot of it is experience and learning the league and getting smarter and knowing how to play. And uh, I think what's key in a lot of players in the National Hockey League these days is that you have to be good on both sides of the puck. You have to be offensively talented, and you've got to be strong defensively. And if you're not strong defensively in this league, and it goes for everybody up and down the lineup, you're not going to play in this league for a long time. So uh, Dylan came in. He had a great first year, dipped a little bit in the second year, um, has, has had a terrific year this year, and I think – What's really improving is his overall defensive game. Um, you know, back in the earlier uh, year here or last year, he'd turn the puck over in the offensive zone and create a court scoring chance the other way. A guy like Anthony Mantha, he's a gifted goal scorer. He leads the team in scoring. I think he's got 22 or 23 goals, um, but he's got to be a little more consistent. I think his defensive game is pretty solid, but again, it's it's a consistency factor. Athanasiu, terrific offensively defensively he just needs to learn that part of the game and the only way to do that is um you know by by experience and going through the battles and the wars and hopefully over time players understand that and then they become good on both sides of the puck i'd like to ask you about the division in general uh you've seen it a lot more than we have watching the metro uh for the most part and i I just kind of want your take on uh, how how you look at the Eastern Conference and where things are going to shake out moving forward beyond what we're used to seeing at the top of the Metro here and how, how you think some of the power is on the other side of the Eastern Conference. Well, when I look at the Metropolitan Division, you, know, you obviously have to look at Washington and Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh obviously over the years has had Washington's number. Um, over the last several years, everybody was talking about the Capitals and winning President's Trophies, yet come playoff time, that's when it's all important because 
you know, you could throw the regular season out the window. It's it's a whole new ball game, and it seems Pittsburgh has has always played well in series against the Washington Capitals. What's strange about this year is nobody's talking about the Washington Capitals. Alexander Ovechkin has 44 goals, yet when I talk to people around the league, nobody even talks about Alexander Ovechkin, it seems. So so they're kind of that team that, well, you know, they could maybe sneak up on somebody, and, and maybe this is their year where, um, you know, they take the quiet approach and somehow play their best hockey in the postseason. The Metropolitan Division strong. It really is. I mean, you look at teams like Columbus and, you know, even the Flyers, one of the most streakier teams, I think, in the National Hockey League this year. They'll, they'll go with points in 10 straight games and then they lose 10 straight games. So they're hard to figure out. The Devils, they're a team that nobody gives a lot of credit to, too. They could be dangerous in the first round. I like Heischer. I like, um, you know, they're getting good goalkeeping from Kincaid. And, of course, you got to look at your team, the Penguins. I mean, obviously, uh, they've got that Stanley Cup pedigree, and they know what it takes to win come Stanley Cup playoff time. And, you know, certainly they've got a goaltender's experience as well as Matt Murray. And, you know, the reason I ask that, Ken, is I want to make sure it's not just my bias, per se, watching the Penguins play in the Metropolitan Division with the Red Wings in the Atlantic. The, the narrative all year long has been, well, the Lightning are really good. The Bruins have had a good record. Uh, Toronto's above the curve. And maybe that's all because the bottom of the Atlantic has been so bad. Uh, do you think that's the case, that those point totals of the teams in the Atlantic are inflated by what's at the bottom and there's just more parity in the Metro? What's your take on that talking point that seems to have been so consistent throughout the Eastern Conference this year? Those three teams you mentioned, they're good teams. They're very good. And uh, we see them a lot more than any of the other teams in the league, obviously being in the Atlantic Division. But I can tell you that Tampa Bay, they're for real. They're like they're like you guys, Pittsburgh. I mean, they can score. And um, the, the only thing that I, I can see that might be a challenge come playoff time is they're pretty loose in their own end. They've been bailed out early in the season by Vasilevsky, but over the last, uh, I'd say, month or so, they've been coming down to earth. they got to tighten it up defensively because if you're not playing strong defensively and you're just relying on your goaltender come playoff time, that could be an issue. The Boston Bruins, they're, to me, they're, I think they're the best team in the Atlantic Division. I, I, these guys, they have, they have all these rookies on their team. I think they got six or seven rookies. They've combined for 50 goals. They've got the best two-way center, I think, in the game in, in Patrice Bergeron. And how about Marchand? He's having a terrific season. They've got all those young kids. They're strong on the blue line. And Tuka Rask has been terrific between the pipes. And then you look at the Maple Leafs, and, and I don't know how to read them because, you know, they don't really have a lot of playoff experience. But I can tell you they're pretty good offensively. And if they get goal, good goalkeeping from uh, Frederick Anderson, you know, they could be a tough team to beat. But... You know, again, I, I just think that those three teams in the Atlantic Division are really solid clubs, and uh, whoever comes out of the Atlantic, uh, it'll be a good battle between them and whoever comes out of the Metropolitan. Ken Cal, play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, our guest here. Ken, before we go, I've got to rewind the tape a little bit here. Do you regret, as I do, we never got to see Penn's Wings round three? <laughs> well, you're right. You always want to see that rubber matchup, but... Um, you know, the Red Wings over the years have had some great battles with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, so, so many great players on both of these two teams. And, you know, it was kind of nice to be able to, in back-to-back years, have those battles all the way going into the early part of June for the Stanley Cup. And, and uh, you just don't see that too often with the two teams going against each other like that. But uh, those are some great games, some great days. And, of course, we miss that right now here in Detroit. But on the other hand, uh, you guys in Pittsburgh are really enjoying the thrill. And uh, to me, I think you guys have a good chance to, to make it three in a row. That's hard to do. But uh, if anybody can do it, I know the Penguins can do it.
Now, Ken, I got to bring this up. Do you still have a sore point in your heart for Pittsburgh when you come here because of the laryngitis that affected you for game six back in 2008 now because for people who don't know this story correct me if i'm wrong on this the year that the red wings beat the penguins in game six here at old melon arena you as the play-by-play voice of the red wings couldn't do the call because you got laryngitis on game day is that right yep yeah i kind of felt it was going after game five and uh, that game was here in detroit and I'm thinking like, well, maybe, you know, we flew out the next day. We were in Pittsburgh. We had an off day, and I was going like, you know what? Um, the voice just doesn't seem like it's all there. Hopefully, if I can get a good night's sleep, uh, everything will be well in the morning. And when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't talk. I mean, it was just, it was just gone. And uh, you know what? A you know, you work all all year long. You go through the, all the grind, the battles. The next thing you know, it's it's the chance where you can win the Stanley Cup, and you don't have a voice. So uh, I really think. Ken Daniels, who came in and he he um, he did the game. He did a really terrific job. And then I was so surprised. There was 15 seconds left in the game. He throws it over to me because I had a headset on. And he says, "Take us to the Stanley Cup." And I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is a call that is going to live on for years and years to come. If I can't make the call, it's better he calls it and not me. Luckily, uh, someone was looking over me, the big man upstairs, I guess, and he just. Uh, you know, he allowed me to have at least 14 or 15 seconds of voice left, and what an exciting play it was at the end. Pittsburgh almost tied it up in the waning moments, but uh, the Wings won the Cup, and I had a little bit of voice left. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, but Ken, you know what? Since your trademark is going to a different octave whenever you hit the goal call, I think it would have been okay anyway, don't you? Yeah, but you know what? It, it's describing the play up until that goal call or until that magnificent play and um, trust me, I didn't talk all day. I, I, I was trying to rest the voice. Maybe that helped me out in the last 15 seconds. But I'm telling you, it's not a good feeling. It's not a great feeling when this is your job. And, you know, it's the biggest day of, of, your, of your life, I guess, in the season. Chance to call a Stanley Cup and you don't have a voice. So wait a minute. So, but it all worked out. No, I, I know, but now i got to ask, though. What was the game plan? So, like, let's say Hosa flips the puck over a fallen Chris Osgood. They go to three overtimes in Mellon Arena. Have you given the headset back, or how does that go exactly? Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't do it. I mean, I had just enough to get that last call in, and, you know, Daniels <laughs> would have had to call it. So maybe there would have been a game seven. I don't know, but it didn't work out that way. But I'll tell you what, it was an exciting finish. Ozzy made a save, and I forgot who it was, Malk or something, sent it right through the goal mouth. I mean, it went right across the crease. And, um, yeah. you know, luckily luckily that puck didn't go in. And then the next year, it was Lidstrom at the horn who had sure. a chance to tie it. And uh, who was it? Flurry made the great save, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I, you know, you could probably blame Flurry for all the great saves he made in Game Five to keep that series alive in triple overtime. That probably shot your voice for Game Six, right? <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right about that. But hey, great games, and 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 again, with so much talent on both of these two teams, it was exciting hockey for not only the two cities, but I think for the whole nation to watch. Ken, great catching up with you. Thanks for the time. Uh, Really appreciate it. Enjoy the call this evening, and we'll catch up again soon, I hope. All right? All right. Sounds good, Tim, and all the best to the Penguins there in the playoffs. All right, that is Ken Cal. He is the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, joining us here on 105.9 The X, our play-by-play voice, Mike Lang. We'll have the call tonight, 105.9 The X, Pens and Wings. Make sure you're listening as the Penguins. Uh, we got the pregame show at 6 o'clock, and we're going to hear from Mike. He was on with us yesterday. If you missed that conversation, it'll be the focus of our pregame interview. You know what, Bob, for that pregame show at six o'clock we, we got to find that story from ken that original story from ken we got to find that and play that 
Because I just thought that was a, <laughs> the nuance of that was fantastic. We'll have to get that coming up at 6 o'clock. But look, when we come back, um, if you want to talk Penguins, we can. If you want to talk about the catch rule being changed, we can. 412-333-9939. Anything on those topics that's available and on the table. And I do want to hear from Pitt fans on this. You know, I, I put it out there before in a web poll form that Pitt fans are now saying that the Capel hire is a better hire than Hurley. It's not a better hire than Hurley. It's a good hire. You did really well. But it's not a better hire than Hurley. And there's one other little thing that i got to bring up about the Pitt hire that we'll do when we come back. But, hey, look, a lot of people think I hate Pitt. I don't hate Pitt. I think the fans drive me nuts. I'm happy about getting this hire done for the basketball program. This is a good hire. You came out better than you should have. So celebrate it. 412-333-9939. That's next. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. Now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're talking to the super genius. Yo, double F. Yo, drunk up Willie. Mark Madden is Pittsburgh sports. The X at 105.9. Thanks to Ken Cal, the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, will play that clip that Ken talked about, the uh, whole laryngitis before Game 6 of the 08 Cup Final, which is fantastic. We'll do that during the Hockey Night Show before play-by-play tonight between the Pens and the Wings. Pens need a win tonight. You can't get this gift game handed to you this late in the season and not walk away with two. One twelve and one the Red Wings going into this game. And the Penguins need to show that they can play better hockey on the road. This year they are 15, 19, and 4. Over the last two years combined, 41, 30, and 11. So basically that's 41 and 41. If you, you know, take the overtime losses out of it, true 500, they're a 500 team on the road. They're 15 and 23 this year. That's not good hockey on the road. And they've played poor hockey against bad teams on the road and still managed to get a few wins, and they've given away some points and things like that. They've gotten overtime wins or shootout wins. Just get a good, clean 4-1 win against this bad team. Shake them out early and get a win. Play good defense, shut down the game, get an early lead, and walk away skating with a big smile on your face. That's what I say about the Penguin game tonight. 4-1-2. 333-9939. Also want pit fan reaction to the hiring of Jeff Capel. I think you walked away better than you had any right to expect after Danny Hurley said no. I thought things were going way off the rails when you get to guys like Nate Oates and Mark Schmidt saying, eh, I don't know, I'm not all that interested with $3.5 million on the table. Slow your roll, though, when you say you wanted this more than Danny Hurley. No one said that they wanted Jeff Capel more than Danny Hurley two weeks ago. Let's keep a proper frame of perspective here on this hire with Capel. It's good. It's not perfect. It's not what you wanted initially, but it's good. That's my take on that. And I want to hear some Steeler fan reactions to the catch rule being changed. Is it good enough? Is it phrased properly? Do you feel like you now know what a catch is? And has the NFL actually finally gotten this right? 412-333-9939 on that front as well. All right, finally a chance to take a few calls. Let's do that. John in Sacramento. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, uh, first things first, just if James caught that ball, I don't care. Um, <laughs> well, Jeff Capel apparently agrees with you, so you got something in line with the new pick coach, so congratulations okay. there. Awesome. Um, so I guess my call, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to get some insight on uh, really where the uh, Penguins' focus is for these last few games. You know, Washington's been on a tear against these uh, – you know, no chance for the playoffs teams, and we seem to be struggling against them. You know, I I just hope that's going to change. Obviously, um, I mean, what what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I hope it's going to change. Uh, I don't know that it will. As Mark has said repeatedly, hearing from what he's heard over at PPG Paints Arena, that the biggest focus right now for the Penguins is simply getting to the finish line and getting to the playoffs, and maybe that's why their play has lagged here in the regular season. Yeah, with two cups under your belt, I can see that being the case. Uh, the Capitals, though, you would think might have that same sort of reaction, given that they keep winning the President's Trophy and nothing comes as a result of it, but they're still playing better hockey down the stretch. For the reason that I just pointed out there, I think a better performance down the stretch and winning more of these games than not is important to Pittsburgh because I don't trust them as much in a decisive Game 6 or a Game 7 on the road as I have in previous seasons. The last two years, the notion of them going on the road and playing a deciding game didn't make me all that concerned because I didn't see that dramatic of a dip in play home versus road. Like I just alluded to, to get to your point, why it's important, maybe it's important to hold home ice as often as possible, as long as possible in this playoff run before you have to go to Tampa, go to Washington again, go to Boston, something to that effect. That's where I would be concerned. How about you? Yeah, it just seems like the the exasperation of uh, being over regular season is definitely translated onto the ice, and you know not only losing against these bad teams, you know what it does for the record and what it does for wild card positions potentially, but you know it also turns into morale too, which I think is what's taken a hit. Uh, I don't know about yeah, morale. At- Thanks for the call, John. I don't know about morale. I, I don't think morale is lagging. I think, in fact, with the way that Broussard has played lately. I think with Sid scoring a couple of dramatic and dynamic goals, that morale is fine. I think that Murray coming back boosts morale as well. I don't think morale is an issue. Uh, I think that maybe fatigue would be an issue now more so than it was at the start of the season. But, you know, that can't be an excuse, as I've always said. People keep wanting to assign fatigue as a reason why the Penguins haven't been as good this season. Well, I mean, if you drag along deeper in the season, having played so much hockey, then I think you could start to say it. But, you know, if you were saying that they were beat early, then what were they in the middle part of the season when they suddenly turned it on? Were they not tired then all of a sudden and now they're tired now? I I don't like doing that. I I don't like putting fatigue on willy-nilly when we feel like it makes sense as an excuse. I think it would make more sense towards the end of the year. Um, You know, I, I I would like to see them play more sound defensively. Now, I don't think the goaltending is as good as it was last year. They don't have Flurry to back up Murray, and because of injury and because of some of the issues that he's had to deal with off the ice, the passing of his father, I don't think Murray's had as good of a season. They don't have Ian Cole. They don't have Ron Hainsey. The defense isn't as good. So I think the biggest thing for this Penguins that they've got going right now is that the offense is picking up with Broussard and Crosby, and they might just have to outscore people even more than they have at other times in the playoffs in the past two years to continue to advance. And that's part of the reason why I asked the question of Ken Cal that I did in the previous segment about the difference between the Atlantic and the Metro. I still feel like the teams in the Metro are better, but for a variety of reasons, the Penguins have had struggles keeping up with maybe better top-to-bottom or more um, talented upper-echelon offensive teams in the Atlantic, and and I think that's going to be a struggle if they get into a best-of-seven. They have to play a Game 6 decisive or you know get game seven decisive on the road i, I think that's something you got to watch 412-333-9939 i'll get to that other point about the pit hire when we come back we can't ignore this in the analysis we'll do it when we return tim ben's in for mark madden so i don't count the x at 1059 
Just a couple minutes here before the top of the hour. Tim Benz with you in for Mark. Lots of Steelers news, NFL news we're going to get into at the top of the next hour with the rules changes and some interesting things that Mike Tomlin has said over the past 24 to 48 hours down in Orlando at the owners' meetings as they relate to the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Some pretty crucial quotes that I think, big picture stuff about the Steelers that we're going to get to in just a few minutes. Uh, two items here before we get to that discussion. First and foremost... Interesting note, as I was logging off my work today at Trib Live, the number one most viewed page at Trib Live this morning, Lolo. That guy, was it Lolo Sanchez? I don't even remember his name now, and I posted the story. The guy that stole home plate for the Pirates? Any port in a storm, right? Lolo went YOLO. You only live once. He stole home plate off a right-handed pitcher against the Phillies. It was all over the place. People couldn't get enough of it. Now I'm sure he stole 14 bases last year, too. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, he's just 18 years old. Bob was asking me, yeah, he's just 18 years old. I'm pretty sure what's going to happen now is he's going to get set down as low as humanly possible. Because if you steal a lot of bases, you get sent down. Kind of like if you hit a lot of home runs, you get sent down like Jose Asuna. I can only assume that's going to be the case. Secondly, a point about the pit hire here. And I know that Pitt fans were wallowing in their sanctimony over, oh, look at Heather Lake. She she wouldn't give in to the temptation of bringing back Sean Miller because he's got a checkered past. You know, Jeff Capel's assistants got in a lot of trouble at Oklahoma, right? And the NCAA came down on them, and he kind of took the fall forward. He wasn't directly implicated in the recruiting issues at Oklahoma, but it was very much guilt by association. This means one of two things to me. Either Heather Like didn't care about the Sean Miller situation with the FBI, and she approached him and he said no to the job, or she's not that dissuaded by him and they talked about it and she said it was too much, but she's not completely having a blind eye to somebody with a checkered past because there's some history here. You know, you can't wash your hands of it entirely and say, oh, well, you know, Jeff Capel wasn't directly implicated. Come on. I'm a Syracuse guy. I hear it all the time from Pitt fans. Do you think Jim Beheim actually was the one that went to the Oneida YMCA and handed the money to the players for refereeing the basketball games? Do you think he directly did it? Like, I was getting into it on Twitter before the show started today with some Pitt fans about this. Like, oh, well, how how can you make that connection? He didn't do it himself. Uh, Okay. So if Jeff Capel had been hired by Xavier or Louisville, Jeff Capel had gotten hired by Louisville, you would have rushed to Jeff Capel's defense? Or do you think that maybe you would have said, look, Louisville, another guy, hire somebody else with some taint on their fingers? Uh, Of course you would. I didn't mean it to come out that way, but you know what I mean. Like, let's not get sanctimonious about it. Oh, he had nothing to do with it. Like, you know the history of the Oklahoma situation in the span of 15 minutes. Just be happy that you got a guy that has some name recognition that could get you through the wilderness here. And, and let's not act like all high and mighty. Oh, he had nothing to do with like the rushing to his defense over this. He had nothing to do with it. 
he was associated, he was with the realm, and you know that you would have come down on him if he had gone to somewhere else. Or if I brought up his name independent of Pitt and said something about Duke recruiting, and you knew about the situation to a degree, oh, you know, Jeff Capel, remember what he did at Oklahoma? Now he's coming to Pitt. Oh, he's got nothing to do with it. Completely clean. Uh, let's not have that, how do I want to phrase this, uh, selective amnesia over facts, okay? I don't have a problem with it. I wouldn't have had a problem with Sean Miller. I don't care how far up the backside of Sean Miller the FBI is. I'm fine with it. But honest to God, this sanctimony was a little much immediately. 412-333-9939. Mike Tomlin on the future of the Steeler defense in 30 seconds here on 105.9 The X.